0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living. That is the importance of you being placed in the world as an ambassador, as a light, as an example to those that are out there. And listen, this perhaps is the most important part. Not for your sake. It's not for you. It's not so that God could bless you. It's because the people around you are perishing.
1: We are all called to be salt and light in this world, but sometimes that can be uncomfortable or nerve-wracking. Sharing Jesus can sometimes make us very anxious and break out in a cold sweat because we don't know what to say, right? But remember this, God can use us in our weaknesses in incredible ways when we have a willing heart and we trust in Him. With 1 Timothy 1, verses 11 through 20, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson.
0: Father, we want to thank you again for all that you are doing in our lives. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have preserved your word throughout the generations. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We could care less what men think, We could care less how men may interpret this passage. What we really care about is what you meant when you inspired it. How you want it to be applied to our lives and what it would mean to us in how we live our lives daily for you. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is The Battle for the Gospel. And in our text, Paul is going to tell Timothy, Paul, somewhere around 60, Timothy, somewhere around 40, Timothy, a younger pastor than Paul, who's kind of ending his race. And he tells Timothy to wage good warfare. And the Christian life at this point is compared to a battle, to waging war, the Warfare that you and I are to wage as Christians, the spiritual battle or the spiritual warfare that we are in is around souls, men and women who need to come to Jesus. We have been sent out in this world as light. We have been sent out as salt. We have been sent out as ambassadors to the living God. And that's all of us, by the way. You realize that the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy and the book of Titus are called the pastoral epistles. They are written to leaders. They're written by Paul to help the churches that Timothy and Titus were pastoring to be focused on what really is important. But there's so much more that we can learn about what God wants from us as individuals and that all of us in a way have been called, chosen by him to go out and represent him you represent jesus wherever you go and the bible says that they might see in us the hope of glory that is they might see christ in us the hope of glory now that's my introduction to the study you may like it you may not like it you may agree you may disagree you may say you might have been listening to my study about being an ambassador and being light and being an epistle sent out by God. And you may say, well, that may be people who are here. and That certainly might be you, Pastor Robert, but it's not me. I'm not an ambassador. I'm not a letter sent out by God. God could never use me because I don't talk well, because I don't represent God well. But here's the thing. It is you. And in your weaknesses, He is strong. Do you realize that God wants to move in your weaknesses. Where you say, oh, I don't really, I'm not really able to represent Christ well. I'm not really good at that. You know what? You're just the guy God's looking for. You're just the gal that God is looking for. Because if it's done in your weaknesses, then you can't get the glory. If God uses your strengths for him, then people can say, wow, you're gifted. You're something that's incredible. But if God uses your weaknesses, people go, I don't know. Look at him. I don't know. Must be God. And since we want God to get the glory, the Bible says when you minister, do so with the ability that God supplies and not your own abilities so that God gets the glory. Mark chapter four tells us So God is calling each of us to be a representative where you are. Now, there's no one who can reach your world like you can. I can't reach your world like you can. When I say your world, I'm talking about those that are in your sphere of influence. Each day, Monday morning or whatever your job is, you get up and you go to a unique place. You're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. You're going to a hospital. You're going to a department. You're going to a department store. You're working with your family. You're getting your kids ready. You're, you're doing whatever it is in your life that you have been called to do. And you are going to be around people who would never walk through the doors of a church, who don't know the name Charles Swindoll or John MacArthur or Chuck Smith They don't have any idea who these people are. And you might think, if only I could get them to listen to a Charles Swindoll teaching, then I know that they would get saved. But you realize that they will not be as influenced by Charles Swindoll as they are by you. That is the importance of you being placed in the world as an ambassador, as a light, as an example to those that are out there. And listen, this perhaps is the most important part not for your sake. It's not for you. It's not so that God could bless you. It's because the people around you are perishing. Their their destiny, if they don't come to Jesus, is to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And the Bible tells us about hell that there's different levels of punishment. Jesus said, some will be beaten with many stripes and some will be beaten with few. Someone who seems from a worldly perspective to be a pretty good person is not going to be treated the same in hell as Hitler is treated. And that's good, isn't it? I mean, we like that, but we don't want anybody to go to hell. We don't want to go to hell, but we don't want anybody to go to hell. The best thing that it says about hell is that it is a place of destruction and a place where someone perishes. The worst thing that it says about hell is that the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched and the smoke of the torment goes on forever and ever and ever. I wonder if we have a real heart for those who are lost and perishing. If we really care about the fact that they are are on their way to that place There was an atheist years ago who used to give a presentation. He'd go into universities and uh, give his presentation among university students. At one point in his presentation, he would say, if God is alive, then I want him to strike me dead. And he would be quiet for two minutes, which in the presentation, two minutes of silence is a long time. If I just all of a sudden shut up for two minutes right now, See, gets uncomfortable quick, doesn't it? So that guy would stand there for two minutes, and then at the end of two minutes, he would say, God didn't strike me dead, must not exist. To which I would say, God rarely goes by on our time (laughs) frames. A little frightening to give God that kind of challenge as if God has to listen to you about how he might strike you dead and when he would strike you dead. But then he would say this. He would say, I hear Christians all the time say that they believe that there is a hell and that people in their family are going to hell and friends are going to hell, and yet they don't do anything. They live their lives as if if there isn't a hell. Now, this is an atheist saying this. They live their lives as if there is no hell. Then he said this. If I believed that there was a hell that my family and friends were going to, I would crawl on my hands and feet across the United States on glass just to make sure that one of them didn't end up in that place. It is and stands to this day to me as one of the most stinging rebukes to the church from an atheist that you and I, do we really take seriously that there are those who are destined to be separated from God forever and that we can make a difference that we can change their destiny. And I want to tell you this as well. It's not you that's going to do it. As you go out and live your life for Christ, he's the one that does it in you. So Paul here in the beginning of our text says this, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel. Now the glorious gospel is that Jesus came into this world, God became flesh, died upon the cross, rose from the dead, and has salvation available for you and me. That's the glorious gospel. He says, according to the glorious gospel and the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So Paul starts off this section by saying, the gospel has been committed to me. He's going to pass it on to Timothy and Timothy passes it on to others so that, and eventually throughout time, it's passed on to us, which is the reason that we've called our series in First Timothy, Pass the Torch because the torch has been passed on to us and we want to pass that torch to others that are around us. And then Paul, in this section, wants to encourage Timothy to wage good warfare. Look at verse 18, the very end. He says that by them you may wage the good warfare. So this whole passage is about encouraging Timothy to wage good warfare. And in case you're wondering what the warfare is about, look at verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am, the chief. The battle that you and I fight is that people would come into a relationship with God And when we say to save sinners, if you happen to be here today and you're not a Christian, we're not looking down our nose at you. We're not like the scribes and Pharisees of the days of Jesus that accused Jesus of being a friend of sinners. We are sinners that have found forgiveness by the cross. And we want you to be a sinner who finds forgiveness by the cross. But the main goal and the purpose of the church, the main goal and the purpose of our lives is to continue the work of Jesus. He came into the world. There were other things he did, but he came into the world to save sinners. There's other things we do. We take care of the poor. We visit those that are in prison. We hope to free those that are bound to alcohol and drugs. There are all kinds of things as a church that we do, but those are all peripheral compared to the one call that we have, which is that we would continue the work of Christ in the name of Christ, that sinners would be saved because that's why Jesus came into the world. And so Paul says, the glorious gospel has been entrusted to me. And he wants to get to the point where he encourages Timothy to fight a good fight concerning this. And so he says in verse 12, now we get into the text. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul says, this gospel was entrusted to me, but then God didn't leave me alone. You may feel I'm highly inadequate for what you're saying, Robert. If you're talking about being an ambassador, a written letter, influence in my world, sphere in my world, I'm not capable of doing that. Well, good news, you don't have to be. Just as God enabled Paul, see it there in verse 12, I thank God. Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. The word enabled means to strengthen me. God is going to strengthen you for the purpose. God's going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And Tucson counts as the uttermost parts of the earth. And Acts 1.8 tells us that, by the way. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He gives you power to become a witness for Him. God is going to enable you. He goes before you. He goes with you. So that when you walk into work, when you walk into your school, when you walk into wherever you go for whatever hobby, if you go to the gym or you go to play racquetball or whatever it is that you gather together with your friends to go riding your bike together, that the Holy Spirit goes with you. That you're not there alone. You aren't there by yourself shining for Christ. The Holy Spirit is with you and there's a bubble. You're a bubble boy. You're a bubble girl. There's a bubble of the Holy Spirit that is surrounded around you that goes with you everywhere that you go. You have been enabled. Paul says, I have been entrusted with the gospel and thank God that I've been enabled. And I think we'd say the same thing. If I've been entrusted with the gospel, thank God that He has enabled me. Not only that, there's another thing. He says, I thank God that I have been enabled and I thank God that I have been put into the ministry. He has been appointed by God and he has been empowered by God. Each of us have been appointed. You have been appointed to be that light and to be that salt. And if God placed you there, then he's going to empower you. If God calls you to be there, he's not going to put you there and then abandon you and leave you on your own. But he's going to be there with you as you share Christ with them. And then Paul says, I'm entrusted with the gospel. He's empowered me. He's put me in ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man. He says, God's done all of this, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man. In other words, Paul says, I was a really bad guy and God did this despite the fact that I was a bad guy. For those of you that are here that have a bad past, for those of you here that have been involved in things that You should have never have been involved in. And you say, God doesn't really want to use me. No, although you were whatever you were, God's going to do it. And in fact, there's a way. And this is one of the strange things about the Christian life. There's a way in which the bad things that you did give you power as a Christian, which is the strangest thing, isn't it? The bad things you did give you power. Why? Because the Bible says, and they, meaning saints, Overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb, because our sins are forgiven, and by the word of their testimony. See, Paul's beginning to tell very briefly his story. I was a persecutor. I was a blasphemer. I was insolent. And God saved me, had mercy on me and gave me grace. That's his story. Every one of you in this room have a story. And some of you guys have a very bad story, which for the sake of a testimony makes it a good testimony. Now, I don't have a good testimony, which means I wasn't a really bad person. My testimony, I consider to be much weaker. My testimony, I'm going to give you a brief, the brief version. Okay, I uh, went to church, grew up in church, and then I found out that I couldn't be saved by going to church, so I invited Jesus into my life. It's really not a really powerful testimony. <laughs> but I got to tell you this. Many of you guys have heard me give my testimony more in depth where I talk about the details of how I invited Christ into my life and how I found out I wasn't saved because I was religious and that I needed more. And when I give my testimony, which I do periodically in messages because I believe we all should, I think we should tell our story often. Paul did, he told it in front of Kings, he told it as he wrote letters, he told it to his friends. We all ought to tell our story. But when I tell it from the pulpit, there's a real power to it. It's, it makes a connection. People listen to my story. And when those who don't know the Lord hear it, there are so many people that are like I was, that believe they're okay because they're religious, that it becomes very powerful. And it even encourages us saints. Even a story, you know, I never got dr. I got drunk once when I was in fifth grade. Never did a lot of drugs. I mean, I don't have all of the, I was never part of the mafia. I was never... You know, I never ran a strip club. I never did any of these things of other testimonies that you hear that people have. And yet my testimony is very powerful. And so I include it in messages on purpose. And in fact, two years ago at Resurrection Celebration, we did something called Come Back to Jesus, which was a resurrection message where I included my testimony. Just telling people how I came to Christ and telling people to come back to Christ. And it was very powerful. Testimonies are always powerful. God has given them to us. And so Paul gives his testimony, but the point of his testimony is, even though I was a really rotten guy, God still wants to use me. And then he gives the second part of his testimony. First of all, I was a really bad guy. Remember that Paul was involved in the murder of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And then Paul says, I obtained mercy in the middle of 13 because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That's a great summary of a testimony. He says, I obtained grace and it was abundant and it exceeded. You really want to live by grace with God? If you become legalistic, and I'll tell you what, there's a temptation that Christians have of becoming legalistic. Listen, you got to read your Bible so much or God will never bless you. You got to pray so much or God will never bless you. You got to go to church so much or God will never. There's a tendency to get legalistic. And when you get legalistic, you indebt God to you through your legalism, but there's an end to that legalism. There's an end to that wage. If I go, okay, God, I read my Bible for two hours today, you owe me. What does God owe you for that two hours? God won't be a debtor to anybody. God will pay you whatever your wages are, but it stops there. But if instead you say, I'm going to read my Bible because I want to know God. I want to pray because I want to know I'm going to go to church because I want to learn more about him. But I need his grace. I'm not trying to indebt God to me. Legalism, legalistic people are trying to indebt God to them. When you walk by grace, you just say, huh, well, grace has no end. Grace abounds. There were sin abounded, grace abounded even more. Exceedingly, abundantly, Paul used to say of grace. And so grace doesn't have any end. It just keeps coming. So how do you want to interact with God? You want to interact with God on legalism, the law, or do you want to interact with God by grace? Because it's never going to stop. It just keeps coming. I want grace. And Paul says, I've received grace. And I love it. Paul fights against legalism. Paul, in one point, says, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And I want to do those things that are going to glorify God and edify me. He wasn't trying in any way to indebt God to him. He just wanted to be edified and he wanted God to be glorified. If we use our freedom to edify ourselves and glorify God, then we're open for the grace of God in our lives. And so he says the grace which was exceedingly and abundant, grace always is, and by faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Then he says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the chief. He says, I'm the chief among sinners. We understand Paul's background. We understand his testimony. He persecuted the church. He was responsible for the death of Christians. In my opinion, Paul never really forgives himself for that. I don't know that we have to forgive ourselves, by the way, but Paul brings it up often. Paul talks about himself kind of being unforgivable because of the things that he did before he was a Christian. And then God raised him up as a leader within the Christian church and Paul calls himself the chief among sinners here. Then he says, however, for this reason I obtained mercy. What is the reason that God saved him? What is the reason he was given mercy? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, I have been saved so that my life can be a pattern, maybe a better word, an example to those that are around me of what the Christian life is about. So God has not saved you so you can just be saved. God has not saved you just so you can have your fire insurance paid. God has saved you so you can be an example to everyone around you who's lost, perishing, and dying. And don't you want your life to be used for that? And there's no one else who's going to reach the people around you like you can reach them. Now, let me say this. Be patient. Live your life for Christ and realize it doesn't happen overnight. As you live your life for Jesus, I worked in a shop, it was an auto shop. We did vinyl tops and convertible tops and molding on the side of cars. We did all of those kind of things. I also did auto upholstery, which is the reason I was hired in this shop. But in order to work there, he wanted me to learn everything. So I was working in the, just with the rest of the guys for a couple of months, learning how to do that before I actually opened up the upholstery portion of it. Immediately while I started working there, the guys that were there, they were typical, Typical shop guys, all right? Those of you that work in a shop, you know what I'm talking about. I'm working on a car. They're next to me. They're telling dirty jokes. So I make a mistake and I tell them, listen, guys, listen, could you do me a favor? Tell those dirty jokes somewhere else because I don't want to hear them, okay? I tell them that. That's what I tell them. Now, some of you guys who work in a shop, you go, oh, no. (laughs) Because you know now they told their dirty jokes to me. They were Harassing me. They knew that I was the youth pastor in Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque, but there was one guy who was particularly tough. And um, this guy comes back to my section, the most obnoxious guy that was there. And he says to me, um, Hey, Robert, listen, my, uh, my wife gave me divorce papers yesterday, and um, I just don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I, I was able to share Christ with him a year and a half later. Don't grow impatient.
1: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses, our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco, meets saturdays at 6 p.m and sundays at 9 45 a.m our west campus south of palo verde and i-10 meets sunday mornings at 8 30 and 11 a.m our midweek service times are wednesday evening at 6 p.m at our east campus and 7 15 p.m at our west campus if you prefer you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org